Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin there in verse 23. <clears throat> when you have it, say, got it. If you don't have it, say, wait. Everybody's got it. Galatians 3.23. We'll read down to verse 29. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law. Has anybody ever been in custody? Well, I won't say your name. We'll look it on the blotter. Being shut up to faith, to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For all, for you all are sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ... Then, say then, then you are Abraham descendants, heirs according to the promise. Father, we thank you. We give you all the honor, all the glory. Lord, we thank you for getting us to this point all the way through 2017. It just seems like yesterday that we were in January, and here we are. We made it. Ups and downs, good good calls, bad calls. Nevertheless, we're here today, standing. We're still standing. Lord, I ask that you bless your people. Keep them, strengthen them. Let not 2018 be like 2017. Make us healthy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Promises. Here's a promise. Now, promises, a good promise is hard to come by. How many know that? And even more importantly, um, promises are almost impossible to keep if you're not careful. We made a lot of promises, right? I won't do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. You know, we always make promises. Then what happens? It seems like we just might blow it. Maybe that's what I'm just talking about me. But promises are difficult things to deal with. The Bible teaches that, that we are heirs to a promise. And if a promise is a difficult thing, that's pretty heavy. Because we're heirs to something that is almost impossible, to a promise. Paul calls all who belong to Christ, those who are following Jesus, that walk with Jesus. Don't just, you know, everybody knows about Jesus. I'm talking, I'm talking about those who, 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 who belong to Jesus, they're the true heirs to the established Abrahamic promise. So there, there's a qualifier, because some people say, how come I don't get it? I know Jesus. We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking you belong to Jesus. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with the price. You are following Christ. You're the true heir. You get this promise. 
that Abraham was given. See, the promise that was given to Abraham all through time, because time changes, it evolved, it changed, and expanded, but it began there in the Genesis narrative when God began to establish, this is the promise I'm going to do for you, Abraham. In Genesis 15, 1, let's go ahead and read there. It says there, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear. Abram, I am a shield to you. That's a good one. That's a first one. That's a promise. A shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, you, why I'm saying this is very important, because if he's a shield and he's getting a great reward, and where his heirs, what do we get? We're going to get some stuff, whether we deserve it or not. As long as we're an heir, or an heir. Abraham said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Since I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. Abraham was looking for just one heir. One heir, a son who can give everything he had to. Verse 4, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. He said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and, he reckoned, and God reckoned it to Abraham as righteousness. He looked at the stars, and he said, that's how your descendants will be. A childless man, a man who had no children, a man whose wife could not bear children. God said, this is for you. Would you have believed? The Bible says, Abraham believed God, and because he believed God, God said, I will count that to you as righteousness. To Abraham's faith is reckoned, Reckoned as righteousness as a result of believing Abraham receives from God. Now, if we're a chip off the old block, then you have to believe. It's a result of faith. It's a result of Abraham's faith that he believed God. And he believed that he would receive from God a promised land of his own because later on he'll describe the promise that he could give, give him the land flowing with milk and honey. He gave him borders from Egypt, right, to Syria. To Jordan, he gave him the border. He goes, this shall be your land. And he goes, but your air shall be like the sky. Meaning, uncontainable. His air wouldn't remain in the land. He is promised of a multitude of descendants to inhabit the world forever. Wow. Now, if we doubt a promise, we have to look around. Look around. Look to your left real quick. Look to your right. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one, and so are you. As we go marching on, right on. Can I keep going, right? So we're the proof. So the promise is active. The only requirement to be sure that we're a part of those promises is that we're, we belong to Christ. We read that earlier. See, the Abrahamic promise is not only a promise of multitude and wealth, but it's a promise of abundant life. A life living out itself in the presence of God. 
This promise is unconditional. He doesn't put no rules on it other than you believe Christ. You follow Christ. You belong to Christ. To the faith and loyalty of Abraham prompted the establishment of these covenants. And they were like, no, you didn't have an application process. It wasn't spelled out, you know, necessarily you have to do this, do this, do this, do that, do this to be in the promise. No, it wasn't spelled out in such a way. The faith was a key ingredient. We, we see that Abraham believed God. He believed God. What are you believing God for? See, and sometimes because we're in this, you know, microwave age, uh, uh, the, the McDonald's drive through hurry up and feed me. Because we're not used to sitting down and having a meal. Right? I mean, we eat our meal and everything, and before we burp, we're done, and we're out the door. Well, I went to, a, what's that one place? An Italian restaurant. What's the one? The one that takes forever. Rock? Yeah, you know. You know. And so we went to a restaurant, and you go to Rocco's, you sit down there, and it's like the, the, the longest meal on earth. Right? You sit down, and they give you your drink. Then, you know, it feels like, you know, a century later, which is only like two minutes later, they come back and say, do you want your order? And then you order your first quarter, they give you your salad, they come in and go, and then they come back, then they give you another quarter, and they go, and they come back, you know, and it's, that's how we used to eat. Now we're so trained to everything fast, right? We want everything on our table, huh? The, 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 the drink, the salad, the main course, the, the second course, the third course, the dessert, the after dessert, the coffee. But see, God doesn't work that way either. Slow process. Slow. 20 years for David to go from the cave to, to the kingdom. 15 years in Lodabar for Paul to get his calling. Even Jesus, the son of God, had to wait 33 years before he began to roll. And say, well, God, I have people, Pastor, God called me. What he told me to do? When? He told me I'm going to do this. When? Well, tomorrow. Tomorrow? What are you talking about, bro? You don't even know the Bible yet. It'll hold on to your britches. Well, it's a promise. But the promise takes time. Yes. Hello, someone. Huh? So you have to believe God through the process. That's the hard part. See, if the bride came right over, okay, good. But, when, you know, you get a promise, and the process takes years. Five years, 10 years, 15 years. Somebody said, I've been a leader in this church for 20 years and nothing happened. You just started. 20 years, now you're in, row, now you're in line. It takes longer than that, brother. It does. But it's there. Abraham believed God. Do you? So if you're following Christ, you'll believe. But your, your belief will be tested by the worst trial, worse than any demon, worse than the devil, worse than your mother-in-law. No, I'm just kidding. Worse than anything. Worse. It'll be tested by time. Promise. See, the trait that belief moved God to give him the promise. So in contrast, you have another covenant. It's called the Sinai Covenant that God established with Israel. We know about that one. And we look at Israel, the things happening. But that covenant with Israel, which is still in process, is conditional. There are conditions that the people had to make. 
See, the promise only remained in force so long as they met the conditions. In the case of them, it was the Mosaic law. As long as that law is fulfilled. See, we're out of that law because, listen, nobody can make that law. Hmm? The conditions, all the things. You don't know over 300 laws and rituals that you have to maintain every single day of your life. Good thing we ain't got to do that. Some of you guys can't even drive the speed limit. I'm included. Hello, someone. We don't, we don't, we don't laws. You know what I'm talking about? See, what excites Paul so completely in the Galatians text is the fact that because of Christ, the conditions of the old law have been swept away. He said, you mean I don't have to take, do all that? You don't have to do all that. You have to believe Christ. Oh, you have to believe Christ. Let me say it again. You have to believe Christ. Yeah. See, we are all set free from the forced guardianship of the law. So Paul calls Christ the offspring of Abraham. Right? He says that Jesus is the first heir of the abundant promise to Abraham. And he is. And we're, 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 we're the next fruit. Jesus is the first fruit. And all of us are the next fruit. Nonetheless, we are part of that promise. It is through Christ that we now take our place in the Abrahamic line. Are you with me? Amen. So I'm laying down some groundwork because I want to get you somewhere. Through Christ, we become descendants of Abraham in full. Completely. Not partially, but completely. Full participants in the promised land and abundant life. Now, so this, this means what? It's kind of tricky here. Wait a minute, I'm in Christ, I'm abundant, but how come I don't got that fulfilled life right now? Anybody ever feel like that? How come I'm not living in abundance? How come I'm poor? How come, you know, come on now. How come this, how come that, how come this, how come that, how come this, how come that? I would dare say that that's part of God's time test. Are you going to still follow him? Huh? When the, when the creditor or the predator is after you? Right? All things must go through its time. See, he says this. Time. The law is a tutor. And so what we naturally do when we don't get things when we want, like according to the promise, we pull ourselves back into the law. So in other words, we say, well, I'm not going to trust Christ no more. And I'm going to get on my giddy up. I know I'm supposed to give. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I know all this. But you know what? Right now, I want some stuff. So you pull from Christ, and guess where you put yourself back under? The law. Because if you're not a part of Christ, your default is the law. You can't be a part of Christ, you know, on Sunday and think you're a part of Christ, you know, and, think, and live for the devil on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and say you're a part of Christ. So if you're like that, not, not, I know nobody's like that, but if you know anybody like that, what they do by not following Christ fully, you put yourself under the law. So now you have to do all the requirements to even try to make it. And listen, like I said earlier, that's impossible. Right? So he says this very interesting. He said, the law was a tutor. If you read that in opening scripture. The law, in other words, the law was a tutor. Anybody ever have a tutor? A tutor, for those of you who don't know, is somebody who comes in after school sits down and maybe helps you 
to learn math. I mean, you, you didn't learn math in school. You didn't, or you didn't learn English, you're bad in English, and you don't know a comma from a period. <laughs> right? And so you're like, just don't get in. Your parents are like, oh my goodness, my kid, my son, my daughter, son tontos, what do I do? Ah, I'll get a tutor. Right? So they hire a tutor, they come over your house, and the tutor begins to teach you. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And they're teaching you the elementaries. Why? Because they need you to learn so you could progress. Well, see, if you've been exposed to Jesus, anybody been exposed to Jesus? Of course you have. And see, you're not really walking like you should, and unknowingly, because you're not following Christ wholeheartedly, where do you put yourself out? In the law. So you put yourself back into the place where you need to be tutored. And what tutors you? Oh, a lot of things. For the home, have you ever been to the home? The popo is a good tutor. Oh, you want to break the law? You, you, okay, here you go. Ever happened to you? Well, why? Because you know Christ, you, you've heard of Christ, you want to walk Christ, but you're under the law. So now you have to be tutored. The world is an interesting tutor. Huh? And there's a lot of ways you get tutors. You know, you, 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 you try to act all holy, you, maybe you're married, you act all holy in church, you go home and you slap your wife around. Oh, the world will tutor you. Right? And so now it's got to tutor you because you, you haven't learned to be Christ-like. So you have to be tutored. Are you with me? See, it is as heirs to the promise, not those under tutorship, that we must keep faith with Christ. Are you with me? Does anybody need a tutor? Don't make me call a tutor on you. All right? See, to be justified by faith, not works, requires faith that is vital. And here's where I'm trying to get you. Alive and full of promise. You say, I don't want to be tutored, by the way. I've been tutored. I, I've been through the, you know, on the wrong side of the bars. Hello, somebody one time or another. I've been beat down like, like some of you have. I, I, I've been tutored. And I, you know, I, I, learned, I, I learned. I go, you know, that's enough. I figured out that's enough. Not only was I tutored, I watched people who were being tutored. And I go, that's, that's cold shot right there. That guy's going through. That guy's getting there. Oh, look what's happening. And I've watched. Have, have, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever watch people get tutored? Yeah. See, but we don't have to be that way if we're heirs. Now, why would somebody not be an heir? I'm going to tell you why. Very simple. They're not healthy. And I said all that to get you here. They're not healthy. There's something lacking in them that they need to be tutored. Because if you're an heir and you're healthy, you're healthy body, that means you're, if you're a healthy body, you're part of a healthy body, you're walking with Jesus, we're all a body, you're part of the body, you should be healthy, right? But if you're not part of a healthy body, then you need to be tutored. So, I want to look at our vital signs. So your vital signs. See, the faith that is vital, alive, and full of promise. So as we end this year, I believe we as a church need to inspect our vital signs. Now, you've been in the hospital. I was in the hospital for 40 days. And every day, every single day, someone would come in and check my vital signs. It's like, I like oh, and not just once. All day long, in the morning, and then in the afternoon, and at night, and then uh, it, without exception, like at four in the morning, the phlebotomist would come in. And I go, what the heck are you doing away there? They walk in every morning, they want to check your blood. 
I go, don't you guys sleep? Oh, I forgot. Vampires are always up at night. So that's what I called them when they came in. Oh, good morning, my vampire. Dracula, I will, I want your blood. And that's what they want, your blood. But they're checking your vital sign, right? Because a faith without vital signs is dead. Hello. So what, is, what, what do they check? First, they check heartbeat. Right? So they check your heartbeat. You're, you're alive. It's your pulse. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Right? The vital sign. See, I want to look at the heartbeat of God in your life. Do you have a pulse? Then they check. They have they, they look pretty interesting. They put a little thing on your, your finger, a little clip. Right? And you have to have 95% oxygen to, re, to be released from the hospital. Or 92, I'm sorry. 92%. So if you don't have 92% oxygen intake through your through the little thing they put on your nail there, they won't let you out. I know because I, I had to have 92%. And every day they check your oxygen. See, the oxygen that we're talking about is the breath of God. The breath of the Holy Spirit. The outflow. So we know you can breathe when you... We don't know if you can breathe when you suck in, but we know when you're breathing when you blow out. It's the outflow from your lungs that determines your breath. And they always check to make sure you're breathing. You know, they put the little thing on there and they go, breathe. Breathe. Right? And they go all around and around. They're checking your breathe. And the last thing they always check is your blood pressure. Mm, the pressure that you have. See, no blood from the Lamb of God. You have no power. Or more importantly, you have no forgiveness. See, no blood pressure from the Lamb of God. Primitive ideas about blood. The real function in, of the blood in the human system was not fully known and, uh, that it really circulated. All this fact was until 1615. They didn't know anything about blood. They knew it was in there, but they had no idea why it was there. But they did know if they stuck you, you bleed. But then they began to understand at that time that it circulated throughout the whole body. They didn't know that. And that the blood brought the life. And it's very interesting because from the earliest times, ancient times, you can read history, a singular mystery has been attached to blood by all peoples. Every nation, every culture, every creed. They looked at blood, they knew, they didn't know a lot about it, but they knew there was something special about the blood. You can go any any history from the hundreds to 200, they had blood rites, blood ceremony, blood feuds were, were common among primitive tribes. Um, when I say primitive tribes, I'm not talking about current gang members. Hello, somebody. <laughs> See, a feeling of fear, awe, and reverence would be attached to the shedding of blood. With many uncivilized people, sacrificing, sac sacrification of the body until blood came out of you was practiced. In other words, they would beat themselves in their sacrifices and they knew the, the, the sacrifice wasn't good enough until blood flowed. It was in their mindset. Right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You ever heard of a blood brotherhood? Blood friendship? In the mafia, they would, they would cut themselves and make a blood oath in, in the uh, Nostra Familia, the Italian mob. Right? You've probably done it with your homeboy. You cut your thumb and you put your blood together. You ever do that? Anybody? No? Well, some of you are saying, yeah, some of you don't want to answer me. <laughs> huh? But the, we understood there's something about the blood, right? This, this began in 
African tribes centuries ago. The mutual shed of blood, and some even drank it or rubbing it upon the body. Blood. Why would humans do that? Because they even, the primitive mind for the blood was sacred. It's so sacred that in Genesis 9, 5, it said the murderer who sheds blood shall be punished. Huh? It also says that the blood of a murdered person crieth out for vengeance. The blood cries. Adam, when God came down, he said, I heard you, the blood of Adam crying out. The blood. The blood cries. We don't hear it. God hears it. Imagine that. And so we take it, oh, that's like a poetic writing. No, no, no. I really believe that God hears the blood crying. That's beyond our comprehension. Huh? Blood. See, no satisfaction could be made for the guilt of murder other than the shedding of blood. Don't shed blood because God says, now blood must be shed because the blood is crying out to me. Hmm? Now, blood is also used as a metaphor. You know, you've heard it. It denotes race. Right? The bloodline. Huh? A symbol of slaughter. I, I, I go, I, I have a, when I was a kid, I don't know why I came up with it. When I was a kid. Everybody come up to me, they go, hey, Loma. They all call me Loma. And my first word out of me, what's up, blood? And I didn't know anything about gangs. I was, they weren't, matter of fact, when I grew up, there wasn't even gangs. We were just from our neighborhood. Gangs didn't happen until the 70s, you know, until later on. So I would, I would call everybody a blood. What's up, blood? Right? My, my brother goes, why do you say that? I, go, I don't know. I just like the way it's something. What's up, blood? It was something about the blood. I even do it now, right? Where we're, if people walk, hey, what's up, blood? I ain't a blood, I'm a crib. Oh, you dummy. I'm not talking about that kind of blood. <laughs> hmm? It, it talks about race, bloodline, uh, blood sacrifices. The blood of sacrifice was caught, was caught by the priest in the basin. Imagine that. They would kill an animal and catch all the blood in the basin, all the blood. And then they would sprinkle it over the altar seven times. Blood. The Passover blood. If you don't know much about the Bible, you, you've seen the cartoon Moses, and they put blood on the, the door of the post so that the death angel would pass by. The blood. Even the death angel understood there was power in that blood. And that was just the blood of animals. At the giving of the law, the blood of sacrifice was sprinkled on the people as well as the altar. The people were consecrated to God and entered a covenant by this ritual. The blood covenant. Getting back to Abraham. When God made the covenant with him, he had to shed blood. And that's when he had, was circumcised. Now, I was a baby when I was circumcised, but I know that had to hurt. I ain't a doctor, but I know that won't hurt. But he had to shed blood. God had to shed that blood of circumcision to solidify his covenant. Because God recognized the blood. Say, God recognizes the blood. Uh, see, blood and water issued from our Savior's side when it was pierced by the Roman soldier. Blood and water. Ah. See, in order for Abraham to become the friend of God, he was commanded to shed blood as a token. So now here's Jesus on the cross, and it says that blood and water, which is very interesting. Because I was, why do, why do you say, but what, you know, blood and water? You know, 
But pathologists have concluded that the cause of Christ's death was a ruptured heart. And when his heart ruptured, the blood and water, not the pierce, it didn't hit him, but his heart had ruptured. So you can say that God, Jesus died of a broken heart. His heart broke. Huh? See, whichever way he died, we know this, that there must be a shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 reads, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Imagine that. No forgiveness of sin. God is saying, if I don't see blood, I don't forgive you. So that's why when the opening scripture says, if you belong to Christ, if Christ, if you are Christ, then what does that mean? That means when God looks down, he doesn't see you. He sees the blood. If he doesn't see the blood, you can never get from God, what's up, blood? 1 John 1, 7 reads like this, but if I walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so we, we need, the, the object is the blood. So we have to walk in the light. If we walk in the light by faith, as he is in the light, we belong to Jesus, we're no longer being tutored. Is anybody being tutored? In other words, the world is, you're still in the world and the world is dealing with you. I have a son in prison. Guess what happened? My son's in prison. Why? Because he needed to be tutored. He wouldn't listen to daddy. So guess what? The world has to tutor him. I tell him, hey, well, you wanted the law. You wanted to be tutored. You don't want to listen to your pop. As he is in the light, then his blood will cleanse you. Are you with me? Of all unrighteousness. Why? Because once we're cleansed of unrighteousness, then we can walk in real faith. We can really walk. See, the next thing, next vital sign I want to talk about is your heartbeat. Do you have a pulse from the heartbeat of God? The word heart, according to the Bible, the heart is the center, not only of the spiritual activity, but of all operations of human life. Heart and soul are often used interchangeably. Heart and soul. Deuteronomy 6, 5 reads, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul. Mark 12, 30 reads, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. I like this, and with all your mind and with all your strength. The heart. The heart is the, the home of the personal life. The home. Right? A man is labeled according to his heart. You know that. We always say that, oh, this guy is a shasha. He ain't got no heart. You ever heard that? He ain't got no heart. Because the heart is vital to who you are. What kind of heart do you have? The heart is a seat of conscience. How do you think? As a man thinketh, so he is. See, there's three keys we must accept about our heart. In Genesis 8, 21, God, it reminds us there that the heart is naturally wicked. So apart from God, if you don't belong to God, you could be a good person, but I don't care how good you are, you're still wicked. Why? Not because I've said so, because the Bible says, apart from God, our heart is naturally wicked. The heart, nothing you know, is the heart contaminates the whole life. 
and character. Or you can fake the funk for a while. Get the funk out of my face. Get the funk right out of my face. Get the funk right now. You can fake the funk, but eventually the real you will show up because you are who you are inside the heart. Once, you, once the funk starts wearing off, we start, oh, that's who you is. Because you can only fake it so long. The heart must be changed if you want to stay. The heart must be regenerated. So that has to happen before a person can willingly obey God. You said, how come I don't obey? How come I keep doing it? Why? Because your heart has not been changed. Your heart has not been regenerated. Oh, you're good for a little while when you're faking the funk, but eventually the real you pops up. And if your heart is not being changed, you will fall back into your old lifestyle. The Bible says you'll go back like a dog going back to its vomit. Because you have a bad heart. See, that's why we have to check our vital signs. The process of salvation begins in the heart by the believing reception of God's testimony. Conversely, the rejection of that testimony hardens the heart. It's like today, if you don't know God today, if you've never met God today, and I'm preaching, and you don't accept today, your heart, well, once you walk out the door, your heart will just get a little harder. Why? Because every time you reject Him, the harder your heart gets. The harder your heart gets. And the harder your heart gets. Oh, today's the day of salvation. Don't say, oh, later. No, no. If you keep rejecting, keep rejecting. The more you reject, the harder it gets. I had one brother the other day. I talked to him about half a mile. And he left years ago. And he goes, I want to come back. And you told me it's so hard to come back. And I don't know. But I want to come back. And it's too hard. I don't know how to do it. It's too hard. He got to a point where his heart was so hard. Even though his mind said do it, he couldn't step forward. That's how hard his heart was. You gotta watch your heart. To the evidence of a hardened heart is really determined by one's view of sin. Right? You know, you sin, partial acknowledgement and partial confession. That's not what the Bible says. Pride. And you and really what's your view of sin? What's your view of partial acknowledgement? What's your view of pride and conceit? What's your view of ingratitude? See, how you look at these will be evidence to whether you have a hardened heart or not. What's your view with divine providence, loss of conviction and conscience? What's your view of, of shunning repute, of not liking to be rebuked? You've got to be like my wife. She loves my rebukes. What's your view of presumption? Your general ignorance of divine things. See, if, you're, if your view is like, I don't, know about, I, don't know, I don't know about that, my friend, you have a heart in your heart. Now, so we, know, we want to figure out your blood, your heart. Now, what about your, your breath, your oxygen? See, the O2 of life. See, that word breath or air drawn into the body to sustain life. Amen? Since breathing is the most, most obvious signs of life, the phrase breath of life is used in the Bible to mean alive or living, the breath of life. The first thing a person notices when they're looking at you, is he breathing? You know, you don't look at another now. I know, you know, we had a great dog. His name was Ben and I. Great dog. We had him for 11 years. When we bought him, the guy said, he lasts between, they last between 10 and 12 years. They heck, he said, oh, really? And so we didn't know how old Ben and I was. He was 11 years old. We didn't know until we, that he was dead. It was crazy. 
I'm in the room studying. My wife walks in. Midnight is dead. I go, Chief, Midnight is not dead. I just was just messing with him. He ain't dead. He's dead. He's dead. I go, he's not dead. He's, you know that lazy bum. He's sleeping. I go out there. My first sign that wasn't breathing. I went down, I go, man, this guy ain't breathing. I grabbed his arm and it was like stiff, like a, oh, I go, oh, wow. this guy's dead. Wow, I was all bum kicked. I wanted to say, I'm sorry, Ben, I was talking bad about you, dude. I called him a lazy bum. It's a good dog. I buried him in the backyard. Remember that? <laughs> I was just laughing. <laughs> he was dead. But the first thing you notice is, is he breathing? See, as your spiritual physician, I have to look at you every day and see if you're breathing. Now, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Because I have a sense for the Holy Spirit. I'm like that little thing that they put on the finger. You know, the doctor, when they put on your finger. When they see you, that's what I am. When I walk by you, I'm just imagine me all over your finger. Because I want to see if you're, if you're breathing. There's a Holy Spirit flowing through your life. Are you seeing the things that I see? Are, are, are you longing to worship and praise Him? Do you look forward to talking to Him? Are you excited about the things of God? Are you breathing? Because sometimes you get up here and you're preaching and God is moving. And, and like my wife said, and we're worshiping and you're like, they're not breathing. But up, up here when I see that, I go, oh, they're not breathing, they're dead. I just talked to the brother the other day. He said, God's in the room. God's doing this. And right now he's dead. Why? Well, he ain't breathing. You can't be around God and not get excited. The ones that not get excited, they're so thinking about their own self. Well, what am I going to do this? And my life and my wife and my, my strife and my, my knife. And they're all thinking about the wrong things. They're not breathing. You're not breathing. You're dead. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. He was alive. Breath is recognized as the gift of God. Job 12.10 reads, In his hands is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In a different sense, breath of God signifies God's power. See, if we're not alive and breathing, then, my friend, there is no power. See, like I said, there's blood in the power. See, the blood opens you up, right? And that cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Now that you're unrighteous, the power, the breath could... Whoom, could be yours. But you have to be opened up. You have to have blood flow. Once you have blood flow, you have air flow. Once you have airflow, the heart starts to pump. Boom, 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 boom. Because I know some Christians, they have flat line. Charge! Boom! We gotta hit your heart. You flat line. The devil don't got you. Dope got you. Fornication got you. Stealing, stealing, thievery got you. Lying. Jiving, conniving got you. You done flatline. But you came to the right place. Huh? You came to the right place. I got my spiritual little metal tablet right here. They actually got one in the hallway. 
I might pull it in and use it on you right now. They got one out there. I've seen it. I go, check it out. Shh, clear. Boom. I want to use it on somebody. Huh. Okay, well, don't have a heart attack. We'll jack you right now. Power of God. This stands in striking contents to other, contrast to other heathen gods which have neither power nor life. They just worship a God because that's what they were told to do. No, our God has power and life. The word breath describes power that transfer when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. He sent them out two by two and the Bible says that he breathed upon them. Then they walked out in anointing and they come back, Jesus, the demons submit to us. Man, we're speaking life to people. They were all excited. Why? Because they were breathed upon. Power. Breath, wind, spirit, life, inspiration. John 22, 20, 22, we this. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. That is pretty heavy right there. See, this right here, right here, messes up all, everybody's doctrine. Everybody's. Because Jesus just gave 70 men who weren't scholared, Never went to Bible college. Didn't know anything about God. He says this. Anyone you forgive, they will be forgiven. Anyone you don't forgive, they won't be forgiven. Notice the power there. He was the only God could forgive me. Uh-uh. Jesus just said, even though 70 could forgive me. That's heavy stuff right there. I'm mess you up right now. I'm messing up all your doctrine. I like doing that. Good thing we're not judged by our doctrine. When you go to heaven, you're not going to have a doctrinal test. When you go to heaven, you're not going to look at your doctrine because none of us know. The Bible says we, we look through a glass darkly. Uh, we don't understand this stuff. I just read that and I still don't understand it. You read it and you're like, oh, oh no, oh no, oh, am I saved? Am I saved? What about happened to me? It's okay. You're not judged by your doctrine. Right? You're judged by when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, whether you do it or not. And then you're in trouble. Now you're in trouble. Now you better worry about if you're saved. Amen? That's how you judge. The Holy Spirit is telling you now, receive Jesus, stop sinning. Now you're judged by that. The Holy Spirit will say different things. Now you're judged. Huh? Job 32.8 says, I come in for land. But it is the spirit of man, the breath of the Almighty, makes him understand. We may not understand now, but the spirit in you is catching. It is. And that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you got a, a master's like I did or a doctorate like I did. It doesn't matter. No, no. It, what matters is the spirit in you. All that stuff nice looks good, but it doesn't matter to God. All it does give you a loan to pay off. Right, thing. <laughs> That's right. So as we end this year, like I opened up with, I believe we need to inspect our Bibles. What we need is a heartbeat of evangelism. So I don't know how you were in 2017, but if we're going to fill this place, our vital signs have to say, my heartbeat 
I have to have a heartbeat after Emmanuel. Why? Because we have to go out there and make disciples. We've got to get them. That's God's heartbeat. God sent his son not so that we could just come to church. That's not. God sent his son for a great reason. Why? God had a deal to make. He cut a deal with Abraham. You said, why did God send his son? Well, it was planned in the beginning, but God cut a deal. Think about God. I made this deal with Abraham. Because he believed me. I said, I'm going to, his heirs are going to be like the stars. How am I going to get this done? I imagine like God thinking, how am I going to get this done? Oh, I have to cut a deal. I, I got to sell my son. Since I made the deal, only I can fulfill the deal. So he sends his son. He goes, okay, Jesus, go down there. I'm going to, he's a missionary. You're, you're, you're not my missionary. Because God is a missionary. He left heaven and came to earth. He goes, go down to earth. You're going to have to die. You have to shed your blood. So I need heirs. Why do you need heirs? Well, you know, remember that talk I had with Abraham? Oh, yeah, I remember that talk I had with Abraham. Okay, I'm on it. So he comes down. And he has to fulfill that promise. And how does he fulfill the promise? He comes down. He saves you. He touches you. And his heartbeat should be for you to go do the same. But that's part of the promise. And if you do the same, then you're like Christ, right? People say, what would Jesus do? I'm telling you what he did. He would leave heaven and go find people. What would you do? You, he's not asking you to leave heaven. You've got to get there. He's asking you to leave where you're at and go find people. Have a heartbeat. God's heartbeat. So we go out there. So maybe 2017 wasn't there. But we're in 2018. This is a new year. We have to start thinking differently. Huh? You need to inhale the breath, listen, of Victor Outreach's anointing. So God gave an anointing. He, just like Jesus, it said that he breathed on them, right? And it's now go out there and talk and reach people. Go talk to them. That's what happened to our ministry. God breathed upon them. My pastor breathed upon them a vision. Why? Because it's part of the Abrahamic covenant. I've shared this many times to go out and reach people. That's what we're called to do. To go into the highways and byways to every inner city of the world. It's not an option to me. It's my anointing. It's the breath of life that Jesus, that God, the Holy Spirit, gave to me. That's the only thing that motivates me. Without that motivation, what would I do? Get a job? Make money? Did that? Never made me happy. This makes me happy. And lastly, does the blood of Jesus cleanse you white as snow? See, it begins with the blood, but it doesn't end there. There's so much more. See, faith without a vital sign, these vital signs that I talked about, your faith without vital signs is dead, my friend. So you need some pop. You ever heard that? You need some pop. I said that, why? Because you need pressure for your blood. You need outflow for your Holy Spirit, right? And you need a pulse. You need some pop. Galatians 3.23 But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up 
to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we should no longer be under the law or under a tutor. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs to the promise. Does anybody want a promise? I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We end off this year, God moving and ministering in your heart. You want to be a part of the promise. You've been checking your vital signs, maybe. That's you, and you say, I need to check them. I need to come to the great physician and heal my soul. That's you. Sing this song. Beyond the road.